we were in process of summing up our review of the requirements of moral action and what actions determine moral character before coming to the question, what do we know about the faithfulness of God from the Bible? Moral character cannot be a fixity somewhere in a moral being. It cannot be bestowed upon anyone. By its very nature, moral character must be established by right conduct of the being involved. Only a moral being is capable of moral action. A moral being is one who is in possession of the endowments of personality, for moral action must be intelligent action. It must be appreciative action or have the ability of experiencing pleasure and disappointment. It must be a voluntary action or have that mysterious ability to choose its own mental concentrations and activity. We have seen that the Bible abundantly reveals that the Godhead comprises three personalities, termed Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who are individually in possession of these faculties and therefore are capable of moral action. Moral action must be understandable and intelligent action. A moral being must have a comprehension of what conduct is right, all things considered. We have seen from the testimony of the Bible, the Word of God, that God is in possession of a perfect comprehension of all obligation that he faces as the moral governor of the universe. This is abundantly evident from the works of God in creation and in sustaining the universe. Having most convincingly established from the Bible that God is capable of moral action and possesses the required mental illumination for the obligation of right action, we then face the problem as to what actions determine moral character. Moral beings have an endless chain of actions of will, of diverse nature, and of greater and lesser importance. How can these various actions be classified and simplified? We have first pointed out that all moral actions must be actions of will. No passive state nor some sort of fixity of influence back of the will is moral action. Then actions of will are positive and definite. They cannot be in any sense partial when being made cannot be partly right and partly wrong at the same time. Right and wrong actions may indeed succeed each other, but they cannot be mixed together. Then all choices of will are not of the same importance, but are remarkably related to each other. All of the choices and actions of the Godhead are interrelated in the highest intelligence. Nothing is done without reason. There are only two supreme or ultimate choices that can possibly be made, which are symbolized by the words light and darkness. Moral beings may choose to govern all their actions by intelligence and truth, or may purpose to seek their own happiness out of all due proportions, which would be supremely selfish. These ultimate choices cannot lie dormant 
Other things must be chosen in accordance with the supreme abiding attitude of mind and heart. These are called subordinate or dependent choices, since they come to pass because of the supreme choice prevailing in our personalities. Then there are multitudes of lesser choices that lead to the fulfillment of our subordinate choices. We call these executive choices because they actually do something. Having arranged the moral choices of personalities in a pattern of relationship, the question confronts us as to how we are to analyze these various actions of will so that we may ascertain true moral character from them. The simple rule is this. Any choice that is made because of the existence of another choice is a dependent or subordinate choice and does not in itself determine moral character. We must press the chain of decisions of will back to the point where we encounter a state of will that has no reasons for its existence, except that the personality involved has so chosen of its own independent volition. Executive volitions, therefore, cannot determine moral character for they are an endeavor to fulfill a higher choice of means to some end. As we advance to these means or decisions to do this or that, we find that these subordinate choices are not independent either. They come to be decided as a result of intelligent activity, of an abiding choice of mind to be perfectly loving or benevolent toward all in the instance of God. This is the ultimate choice that exists for no other reason than that it does exist. Here alone is moral character determined and properly evaluated. We have seen that this relieves the Bible of many criticisms. Since God is absolutely impartial, he must respond differently to those who repent and forsake sin as a result of the loving manifestation of the plan of salvation through the sacrificial death of Christ than those who harden their hearts and refuse to comply. God would cease to be impartial and loving if he did not do so. He would fail as a moral governor. God therefore has had to prepare a heaven where humble and repentant sinners may be taken because they are reconciled to himself and delight in holiness. On the other hand, the multitudes of men who do not heed the still small voice of conscience within and the direct measures of God to persuade them to repent and forsake their sins are to be diverted into hell according to the solemn and tragic declarations of the Bible. In this place of endless conscious torment, rebellious moral beings will be more at home and less tormented than they would be if admitted into heaven into the immaculate holiness of God when not reconciled to and permeated by that holiness. All there shall have one mind. They seek themselves supremely and refuse to give God the rightful and intelligent place that he deserves. Thus, rather than hell being contrary to the love of God, it is demanded by that love as a place where sinners will be more comfortable than they would be in heaven and as a guarantee of the happiness of those 
who have heeded the words of the prophet Ezekiel, for example, in the 18th chapter, verses 30 to 32. Repent and turn yourselves from all your transgressions, so iniquity shall not be your ruin. Cast away from you all your transgressions, whereby ye have transgressed, and make you a new heart and a new spirit. For why will ye die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of him that dieth, saith the Lord. Wherefore, turn yourselves, and live ye. Moral character, therefore, cannot be determined by looking at executive actions, for these are merely the carrying out of a higher decision. Nor can moral character be determined by going a step higher and examining the means that have been taken or the decisions that have been made as to bringing about certain things. These were taken as a reaction of a certain purpose or attitude of heart. We therefore must advance up higher to understand that disposition that has prompted them. Here we can go no further, and thus moral character is established simply because it defies analysis. Since it defies analysis, it must be the choice that determines character as virtuous or sinful. If virtuous, everything is colored thereby. If sinful or selfish, this ugly taint permeates the whole. Ultimate intention, therefore, is the whole of moral character, and thus it alone is praiseworthy or blameworthy. Upon this understanding, the truths and situations of the Bible fall into a remarkable harmony. Who shall be able to find fault with the great God and successfully defend himself? This principle of analysis was applied by the Lord Jesus to the evaluation of men's characters. By a strange and unheard of arithmetic, he said that the widow who cast in her two mites had given more to the Lord than the rich men who cast in their large sums of money into the treasury. This answer was worked out from the factors and motives involved. The quantities did not even enter into the computations. What did these quantities represent in terms of what they possessed? This was the important question. With what urgency of heart and in what attitude did they give? These are the questions that determined the solution. So our Lord turned to his disciples to explain himself of this strange statement. The rich men cast in of their abundance, or that which they did not need to live on in their luxurious lives. It was no measure of devotion, since it did not require any sacrifice. Since they gave it to be seen of men, they had their reward of selfishness. But of the widow, he said, she of her penury had cast in all the living that she had. We may analyze her actions thus. By an executive act, she humbly placed the money into the treasury. This carried out her decision to give all that she had to the Lord. She was willing to give all that she had because of her supreme love for God. Therefore, in pressing our way back to her heart, moral character was established. Thus is this truth expressed in Proverbs 4.23. Keep thine heart with all diligent, 
for out of it are the issues of life. According to man's heart, therefore, is his character. The Apostle Paul expressed by inspiration the same evaluation of character in 2 Corinthians 8.12 thus, If there be first a willing mind, it is accepted according to what a man hath, and not according to what he hath not. Again he wrote in 2 Corinthians 9.7, Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. Thus we see that moral character is determined by that inner ultimate decision of heart. The sinner has made the decision of selfishness and he perpetuates his own welfare supremely. Repentance is simply a renunciation of this attitude of selfishness, a willingness to seek God first, our fellow men equal with ourselves, and to live in an intelligent balance of life as enlightened through the Word by the Holy Spirit. Thus we are now prepared to examine the moral character of God as revealed in the Bible and can greatly simplify and harmonize the various actions of the great God. Our Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for Thy Word which relieves us of many complications and reveals to us the fact that in Thy very essence Thou art love and Thou art benevolent and Thou art impartial. So we pray that many may repent and by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, who died for the sins of the whole world, be forgiven and reconciled to thee, both now and forever. In Jesus' name, amen.